I want you to turn to John chapter 1. Everyone, let's turn to John chapter 1. All right, John chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 43 to 51. Let's have the... um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. I'll take a verse and then you guys read the next verse. I'll begin with verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Somebody say amen. 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 In today's passage in John chapter 1, we have the account of Nathanael's first encounter with Jesus. And his friend Philip invites a very cynical Nathaniel. When Philip describes Jesus, Nathaniel says, Nazareth, what good can come out of that place? And Nathaniel is very cynical. Now, as Nathaniel approaches Jesus, Jesus says something very interesting. He said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, to be clear, This was not a generic greeting that the Jews have for each other. All right. Instead, Jesus had received revelation through the Spirit of God that the person that was approaching him was a devout Jew and a man of integrity. So he got this revelation, this word of knowledge, and Jesus was simply speaking it out. It's like if you were approaching me and I said, Behold Yes, a true New Zealander and a man of many talents. I don't know. And, and let's say, you know, that just hits him right in the heart. Like he knows that that's descriptive and that's accurate of him. It's going to get his attention. And in the same way, Jesus is just kind of giving this word of knowledge. And it gets Nathaniel's attention. And you'll notice, you know, Jesus didn't have this information just because he was a son of God. You know, Jesus in his humanity, in his incarnation, he was a hundred percent man. And in his humanity, he needed to get information like this, just like you and I would through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm the son of God. I know everything about you. I know all your life. I know about your mom and everything like that. No, no. Jesus had to get it through a word of knowledge, the gift of the word of knowledge, just like you and I would today. All right, And that's what Jesus received. Because you notice a chapter earlier when he calls his other disciples, he doesn't greet them like he does for Nathaniel. 
The Holy Spirit simply didn't give him that kind of word of knowledge. Now, perhaps the Holy Spirit was giving this word of knowledge to break Nathaniel's cynicism. Here's a guy that's, that's very cynical and Nathaniel hears what Jesus says and says, all right, that kind of sounds accurate. How do you know me? And thought maybe they had met earlier or something like that, you know? Or maybe it was more like, you don't know me. I don't know what kind of tone in which Nathaniel said this, but Jesus responds with another word of knowledge. He gives another word of knowledge. This time it's a mental vision, a mental picture that he received earlier. And Jesus says, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. All right. And you know what Nathaniel says in response to this? He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now, how did Nathaniel go from cynic to fanatic so quickly? Okay. Well, this type of dramatic response is commanded when you move in the word of knowledge. <clears throat> you see, perhaps for Nathaniel, this little mental picture was, it just hit home. It was very intimate to him. Maybe this fig tree is a fig tree that he cared for and he had engraved his name on. And he would go every day and he would have his devotions there. And that's where he met God and nobody else knew about this fig tree. It was just between him and God. It was a very intimate thing. And when Jesus called it out, it just, it just cut down to his heart. It's like maybe God saying, Tish, I saw you on your MacBook Pro at Starbucks before you came to church. And nobody else was with Tish. And maybe that was Tish's routine. And it, and it cuts Nathaniel to the heart. Jesus pointed out something that was intimate and routine that only Nathaniel and God knew about. And that's why Nathaniel responds with this dramatic proclamation of Jesus. <clears throat> now, look at how Jesus responds to Nathaniel's dramatic response. Look at verse 50. Look at verse 50. Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You will see greater things than these. Amen. Oh, come on. I don't think y'all hear me in here. Y'all hear me in the back. You will see greater things than these. Amen. Come on, open up your mouth and say amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We, we, we hear, hallelujah, thank you. We here at New Philadelphia, we believe that the sermon is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. All right. Hallelujah. It's not just an African-American thing, although African-Americans got that down, drawn down in some of their churches. All right. Nah, this is a Holy Spirit kingdom thing. Sermons are not supposed to be me just telling y'all. If y'all think it's good, I need to hear from you. And so don't be afraid. All right? Don't be embarrassed. <clears throat> now, um, Jesus here is saying, you will see greater things than these to Nathaniel. And Jesus is like, look, Nathaniel, you think, you think that little word of knowledge, you think that was impressive? Check it out. You follow me, you ain't seen nothing yet. You will see things that will blow your mind. Just stay close to me. 
because you're going to see greater things than these. Now, as Nathaniel followed Jesus, what did Nathaniel see? He saw greater things, didn't he? He saw the lame walk. He saw the blind open their eyes. He saw demons being cast out of the town lunatic. He saw greater things than these. Way more crazier things than just a couple words of knowledge. He saw the dead being raised. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus meant it when he said, you want to see greater things. Now, on top of this, after showing his disciples all the signs and the wonders and the miracles and healings, Jesus later on made another promise in John chapter 14. He said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In other words, Jesus first promised his disciples, you will see greater things. And then after demonstrating those greater things, he said unto them, I promise you, you will do the same things. You will do greater things than these. You will see greater things than these, and you will do greater things than these. Oh, hallelujah. This is the promise that Jesus has given. And this promise is for each and every one of you. Amen. If you receive that right now, come on. Lift your hands. Say, I'll receive it. Come on. Come on, everybody. You receive that? I will see greater things. Say that. I will see greater things. I will do greater things. You know, we here at our church at New Philly, we've seen some amazing things thus far. In the last two, three years, we've seen some amazing things. Signs, wonders. We've seen the fire of God fall. Last year when I was in Australia, guest speaking at a retreat. About 150 young people, college students. They were all apathetic toward God. In their little small groups, when they were asked, what, are your, what is your expectation for this retreat? They all answered, nothing. I just want to, I don't know, if God does something, I guess he will, but I'm just going to see my friends. I don't have any expectations. That was their answer. That was the common answer across all of those college students that were at that retreat. But praise the Lord, hallelujah, when Mina shared her testimony and Aaron shared her testimony, how they went from a backslidden life into a Christ-centered life and how they got healed and delivered from that, when that, those testimonies were told, when I went up to preach, I couldn't even preach my sermon because students were just on the edge of their seats wanting to come forward and repent of their sins and give their lives to Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. And so I just got up there and I, and I said, if you've been living like Aaron and Mina used to live, and you want your life changed, and you know God's got something better for you, I want you to get up out of your seat, come forward, repent of your sins. I want you to live a new life in Christ. And all these students came forward crying and slobbering and kneeling. Hallelujah. And that wasn't it. A couple nights later, I preached on the fire of God. Students looked at me like, what is that? You mean passion? Like a lot of passion for God? Well, yeah, kind of. But the fire of God is more than that. Fire of God is real. And I preached that, and they were still not convinced. I called up the praise team to get prayer first. Nothing was happening. But I just felt the Lord say, you keep on praying, because here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. And none of these praise team members had ever experienced the fire of God. And I'm just praying for the praise team leader. And all of a sudden, boom, he goes down. 
and just starts manifesting like crazy, shaking, uh, like he was getting touched by electricity. You know why? Because he was getting touched by the fire of God, the power of God. I guarantee you that you put your hand in an electric socket in this room, you are going to shake. Because when you encounter and you touch power, that power is going to have an effect on your body. The praise team leader went down. Then the, the drummer went down. Then, then uh, the backup vocalist went down, but nobody touched her. Anyway, hallelujah. And the fire got to start breaking out. And then all the students, we got their attention. And they started coming forward. And they were like, I don't know what this is, but give it to me. Just bring fire and people just get touched, healed. It was amazing. We've seen some amazing stuff here at this church. We've seen, you know, demons being cast out, people getting healed and delivered from all kinds of traumas, mental diseases, depression. We went on missions this past winter and saw 40-plus physical healings on both teams to India and to the Philippines. We saw salvations. But who in here wants to see greater things than these? Oh, come on. Oh, it's been good, but I know it gets gooder. Oh, it gets better than this. And this, this is why we're fasting for 21 days. And I said this over at Hillside, and I'll say this to y'all. I am so proud of this church. And as a, as a, as a pastor, as a, like a father figure to this church, I'm just so proud of y'all. You know, we have, now we have 112 people signed up for this 21-day fast. The majority are liquids-only fasts. And uh, about 80 are from Hillside, and about 30 are from Itaewon. So, I mean, y'all only have about 40 people in here each week. And 30 of y'all are fasting, and I know some of y'all came for the first time last week, and you still signed up. Praise the Lord. You know, just sharing that piece of information, it's blessing so many people. People are writing in and saying, You have a crazy church. I am so blessed that that many people from your church are fasting for 21 days. Hallelujah. But you know why why we're fasting? You know, this is our way of saying, Lord, we got to have more of you. We know that there's more. We celebrate what we've already received and what we've already experienced. But God, we know there is so much more. We want to see and do greater things than these. So, Lord God. This is our hunger. We are directing our hunger from physical food to our hunger for your presence, your power, your outpouring, your kingdom. We are directing our hunger to you, God. We got to have more of you, Lord. That's what this fast is primarily about. And and let me ask you a question. How can we be so sure that we will see greater things and do greater things? What if God is up in heaven and saying, what's wrong with y'all? I've already given you my son. I've given you salvation. Some of y'all have gotten the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit. Look, I've given you so many things already in my grace. How can you put more demand on my grace? How can you ask me for more of my mercy? Look, man, you've had enough. You've had a lot. Why can't you be content with what you have? And I asked the Hillside campus, do you think that's the voice of the Father? Why aren't you happy with what you have? No, see, man, that's not the voice of our fathers. The voice of the father says, you will see greater things. You will see it. You will do the same things and you will do greater things. Hallelujah. 
And how can we be so sure that we're going to see and do greater things? Well, there's a lot of different prophecies in the Bible, one of which says uh, the glory of the latter house to be greater than the first, meaning that God's glory on the earth is not going to be half of the glory that manifested in the book of Acts. It's going to be greater and greater and greater glory until the return of Jesus Christ. The glory of the latter house, meaning God is a God who saves the best for last. It's not like he played all his cards 2,000 years ago and is trying to get everybody to catch up to the book of Acts. Now, God is like saying, no, that, that was just the minimum. That was just a standard. But check this out. There's going to be mad, crazier things you'll see, much more greater things than these. How can we be so sure we have these prophecies? But look, check this out. Here in John chapter 1, we have another promise that kind of seals the deal. That we will see and do greater things. And it's in verse 51. Check this out. Verse 51. Truly, truly. This usually means pay attention. Alright. This is going to be good. Truly, truly, I say to you. You will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending. On the Son of Man. You will see heaven opened. Open. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to prophesy that. You will see heaven open. Come on, everybody. Point your prophetic finger. You will see heaven open. You will see and do greater things. Why? Because you will, you have a promise that you will see heaven open. Opened. Hallelujah. You're going to see heaven open, brothers and sisters. Now, what happens when heaven is opened? What happens? Jesus said, when heaven is opened, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, why would angels ascend and descend? Why are they going up and down? And what in the world do angels do? Have you ever asked yourself that? Are angels just there to be like your guardian angel, touched by an angel? Those TV shows, are they the best picture of what angels do on the earth? Look, the Bible says, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Angels carry out the word of God. Angels obey the voice of the Lord. And to give a complete picture, angels also do all kinds of things. Including putting an army of people into chaos and making them kill each other. Angels also release and strike plagues down on people and kills them. I mean, angels, I mean, do a lot of different things. But on the positive side, angels are protectors. Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you so that you will not strike your foot on a stone. I've had many near-death experiences in my life. Not like near-death, like I was in the bed near-death. But like I was walking across the street, almost got hit by a Korean cab driver, near-death experience. And I'm telling God, his angels has been protecting me. All right, angels are protectors. Number two, angels are ministers, as Psalm 103 said. 
And as you can see throughout Scripture, angels are messengers. They bring God's messages to His people. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are sent to serve you. Angels are sent to minister to you. You know, when Jesus was in the desert and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights and the devil came and tempted him, you know what happened after that? The Bible says angels came and ministered to him. I don't know what they did, but they came and they they were like, oh, Jesus, man, that was great, great. That was a great answer back there. Wonderful, Jesus. I don't know what they did, but they ministered to him. And you know what? In the middle of your 21-day fast, you're going to need some ministry. You might just need some of that help as well. And, you know, it also says, you know, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, angels came. Minister. Angels are ministering spirits. They're there to help you, serve you. They're there to help you fulfill the will of God for your life. They are there to carry out the word of God. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, let's look at the term Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, if you study the scriptures, the, the term Son of Man is a messianic term. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus' favorite title that he gave himself was the Son of Man. And so, uh, I mentioned this earlier at Hillside. It's kind of like The Rock. You know, the professional wrestler, The Rock, Dwayne, Dwayne uh, Johnson. He's a... <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. Uh the Rock, he, he's a professional wrestler, and when he talks, and when he talks to his enemies, and when he talks to his audience, he says, The Rock says, know your role and shut your mouth. And, you know, he talks in the third person. He refers to himself in the third person. The Rock, The Rock, The Rock. And this is the same way Jesus liked to refer to himself in third person. He said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered and crucified. And the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, always referring to himself in the third person. What's with that? But Jesus did that. He used the term son of, son of man because it was a messianic term. And in this passage in John chapter 1, Jesus is referring to himself. Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you follow me. You're going to see heaven opened. And you're going to see angelic activity all around the son of man that will just blow your mind. Now, Practically, in the ministry of Jesus, what did open heaven look like? What did angelic activity around him look like? Okay, It all begins at the Jordan River. Matthew chapter 3.16, it tells us that at Jesus' baptism, something very interesting happened. Heaven was open. The Bible says, at Jesus, as he was being baptized, heaven was opened. And when heaven was open, what happened? Jesus saw, and also John the Baptist saw, He saw the Spirit of God come out of heaven and descend on Jesus like a dove. And and because of this experience where the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus, from that moment on, Jesus' public ministry began. And from that on, the anointing of the Holy Spirit started to flow through Jesus for signs, wonders, and miracles. So number one, from this passage, we can see that when heaven is opened, the anointing of the Spirit gets released. When heaven is open, the anointing of the Spirit gets released on people. 
And people also get called into the ministry. You know, have you ever noticed if you, if you have pastor friends who used to live a very backslidden life and they have these, there's these very common stories of these pastors that were running away from God. They describe it as running away from God. They knew that God was calling them to ministry, but they ran away anyway or, or they were PK and then they just didn't like their father and they didn't like the way that their father was a pastor. And so they just wanted to be, the last thing they wanted to be was a pastor and they just running away from ministry and they go to some retreat and then at the retreat, they're still like smoking cigarettes on the side and stuff during the retreat breaks and stuff like that. But they, during one service, they, ah, I'm sorry, Lord. They repent. And then they say, Lord, I'll go to the nations for you. I'll go to the seminary for you. And all of a sudden, they're going to seminary. What happened to them? I'll tell you what happened. Open heaven. When there's an open heaven at a retreat like that, you're going to have masses of people getting called into the ministry. Why? Because... At Jesus' baptism, you see here, heaven opens, Jesus gets releasing of the anointing, and then he gets called into the ministry. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, we have Jesus trying to feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men actually, not including women and children, with two loaves and five fish. And Matthew fourteen nineteen says something very interesting. It says that Jesus took the bread and the fish, and then he looked up to heaven said a blessing, broke the bread, and then gave it away. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, but I want you to ask yourself right now, why did Jesus look up to heaven before giving away the bread? Why did he look up to heaven? Well, think about it. Jesus said, you will see heaven opened. So we're not sure exactly what happened, but I'm thinking Jesus probably looked up to heaven because he noticed that heaven was open. And so here he got five loaves and two, two fish. Yeah, two loaves and five fish. Right? Typo. Five loaves and two fish. He got to feed all these thousands of people. What's he going to do? Well, he needs heaven's resources. He knows that up in heaven, there's no lack. He knows that up in heaven, there's a bakery that's constantly putting out the best bread you can you, i don't know anyway there's unlimited resources in heaven and so jesus looks up at this open heaven and says this blessing and the next thing you know all that bread and fish is being multiplied 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 so that once everybody ate and had their fill there was still left over hallelujah When heaven is opened, material miracles abound. Material miracles abound. Deuteronomy 28.12 says that heaven is the Lord's storehouse. It is his closet. It is his barn. It is his treasury, his bank. And when heaven's storehouse, when the Lord's storehouse, heaven, when heaven is open to you, Deuteronomy 28.12 says, you will lend and not borrow. You will lend and not borrow. Some of you may have seen my Facebook article the other night about how troubled I am by the enormous debt that I have accrued by going to NYU and how this is a big problem in America right now. But you know what? I do not believe that I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying off this NYU loan. 
It may appear that way. It may feel that way. But I'll tell you right now, I will lend and not borrow. Because heaven will be opened over me regarding material miracles. You know why? Because the things that God has assigned to my life, they're not natural, they're supernatural. The type of things that God wants me to accomplish are not just small, ordinary things. They're going to be extraordinary. And for me to accomplish extraordinary things, I'm going to need extraordinary provision. I'm going to need heaven to open and for God to bring down material miracles so that I can complete my assignment. When heaven is opened, you will lend and not borrow. Bank accounts get mysterious deposits. Hallelujah. Your investments, your business investments, they multiply. Hallelujah. You know, I, I told this over at Hillside. When five, six years ago, uh, no, I'm sorry, man, it's been that long. Seven years ago, wow, eight years, eight years ago, I worked over at Apple Computers in uh, the first store, flagship store in New York City, Soho store, huge store. And I was the part of the first team. I was a very privileged select few. And uh, at that time, Apple was not doing that well. The iPod hadn't come out yet. The, the notebooks were just starting to take off, but not really. And so Apple stock was less than $10. And if you guys know right now, Apple stock is around $250, $270, And then in the middle of that, there was a two-for-one stock split. So put it in perspective, what I bought for less than $10, the stock right now is at $540. Okay, And last week in the business magazines, Apple was named, all right, one of the most valued, uh, one of the most valued uh, companies on the stock market, and it has a higher worth than Microsoft. Hallelujah! <laughs> Y'all didn't think it would happen. What it happened? They're like kind of inching, inching, but they 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 are valued higher than Microsoft now. Their stock value. All right, and uh, I'll tell you right now, I haven't held on to that stock until today. <laughs> I wish I did, <laughs> but I sold it when it was around. Um, when it was around $110 after the two-for-one stock split. So it was more like getting my $10 stock and selling it for like $220, something like that. And, and man, you know, when I first got hired, I remember there was a section in the employee application, and they recommend 10% of your income going toward the employee stock purchase plan. And I crossed out 10%, and I put 7 <laughs> Biggest mistake of my life. Anyway, um, after uh, I went into full-time ministry and I put Apple behind me, I still had the Apple stock. And as I was getting engaged to my wife, Erin, I was concerned about where I was going to get money to buy her engagement ring. Because I was raising support as, as a Campus Crusade staff. I, don't, I didn't get a full-time salary. I was worried about that. And then the Lord just put it on my heart. Just check your Apple stock, brother. And I looked at my Apple stock and I had more than enough money. To get my wife a fat diamond ring. Hallelujah. <laughs> that is open heavens for you right now. I didn't strive to make that stock go up. I could have done nothing to contribute to that stock going up. I really believe that I experienced a material miracle on my life. Hallelujah. If you continue to look on in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 7, there was a deaf and mute man. That's brought before Jesus. 
Verse 33 of Mark 7 says that Jesus put his fingers into the deaf man's ears and then spat, took the spit and touched the man's tongue. Somebody say, ew. And then in verse 34, it says that Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed. And then he said, be opened. And then the deaf man's ears and mouth were loosed and he was completely healed. Now, let me tell you something right now. Don't get caught up in the method. If you go find a deaf person today and you put your fingers through their ears, that does not guarantee that they will get healed. Or if you find a mute person that is willing to let you touch their tongue with your spit, you can do it 100 times, you will not see healing. The key was not, the key was not the method, but it was open heaven. See, Jesus was carrying right above him an open heaven. And when he did these acts, and when he was led to do these things, and when he commanded things to be opened, the angels of God came and boom, loose the deaf ears, loose the mute tongue so that a person can talk. When there, are, when there is an open heaven, physical healings abound. Physical healings abound. Angels show up to repair legs to, you know, we've heard from Bill Johnson's ministry, we've heard of people with metal rods in their back. And during worship services for healing, those metal rods, they're gone. And their backs are completely healed. And then Bill Johnson says something like, he'll always say things like, up in heaven, there's a lot of spare parts. They have lots of, you know, good backs up there. And uh, heaven knows that metal is not better than the real, real back. So heaven just gives them a new back. And there's all these amazing testimonies. That's the angels of God just showing up, cleansing people of diseases, loosing people from various spirits of infirmity. When you see heaven opened, angels show up to minister physical healing. Now, this was the earthly ministry of Jesus, which, by the way, wasn't very earthly. Amen. It was a lot more heavenly than it was earthly. But what he did on the earth, this is what he did. Now, let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 51. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I explained earlier that the term Son of Man is messianic. Well, I lied. Kind of. The term son of man has a double meaning. Okay. The term son of man can refer to the Messiah or it can refer to a literal son of a man. You get it? So you look through um, the Old Testament. Look through prophet Ezekiel. You look through the book of Ezekiel. God looks at Ezekiel and says, son of man, son of man, son of man, can these bones live? Son of man, prophesy to the breath. Son of man, do this. Son of man, do that. Okay. So the term son of man is both messianic and it also refers to you and me. Now, when Jesus says, you will see the, son, the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, I believe Jesus isn't just talking about himself. 
Because he could have used the term son of God, but instead he used the term son of man. I believe he uses this term in order to leave, the, leave there the double meaning in order to train his disciples and get into their heads that not only are they supposed to see and witness him doing all these miraculous works, but that they would later on inherit the same anointing that he had in order for them to perform and do the same works that he did and even greater things than him. So when he, when he says angels of God will ascend and descend on the Son of Man, he didn't just mean himself, he meant the church. He meant the disciples that were listening to him. So we see evidence of this open heaven in the life and ministry of the early church. You look through the book of Acts, what do you find? Acts chapter 2. Heavens opened. The disciples were gathered in prayer and fasting. The heavens were opened. And then the Bible says a mighty rushing wind from heaven hit the room. Oof. Sorry about that. Oh, that was louder than I thought. And then the wind filled the room. And then all of them got filled with tongues of fire. And then they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you can see from Acts chapter 2. That after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended to heaven, the heavens didn't get closed up, by the way. The heavens remained open. And you can see in Acts chapter 2, as heaven remained open, what happened? The Holy Spirit came and anointed God's people, just like the Holy Spirit had anointed Jesus in the Jordan River. And at this anointing, baptism of the Spirit experience, just like Jesus, by that experience, was propelled into public ministry, in the same way as the church experienced it, they were propelled into public ministry. When heaven is opened, people get baptized with the Holy Spirit. People get filled with the Spirit of God. Later on, you see in Acts chapter 10, heaven gets opened again. This time, Peter is praying on his own and he sees a vision coming down of a blanket filled with unclean animals. And on this animal, all the, on this blanket were like shrimp and pork and things that Jews were not permitted to eat. And God said, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord. And this happened three times. And we know later on that this vision, God used this vision to convict Peter's heart and to open up his heart to the truth that the gospel was not meant only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. But what am I saying here? I'm saying when heaven is opened, God pours out his revelation. When heaven is opened, God pours out his revelation. Uh, later on, Acts 22, you have the Apostle Paul. He recounts his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And he says that on the road to Damascus, out of heaven came a bright light. And then the voice of Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we all know later on that through this experience, the Apostle Paul got converted and became a Christian. He went from a persecutor to becoming an apostle. When heaven is opened, people get radically saved. You know, if you want to see more salvations, we want to see more of your friends, more of your family members, more people in the city coming to Christ. What we need to pray for is not just a 
nice gospel presentation. Although that is very important and needed, and we need to preach the whole counsel of God and preach the gospel message in its wholeness. But you know what? You can preach the whole count. You can preach a not. You can give somebody a nice presentation of the gospel until they're blue in the face. Doesn't mean they get converted. You know what will convert them? Open heaven. They encounter God in an open heaven experience. Man, they will bow their now bow their knee to Jesus. And I believe that we're coming to a time in these end days where heaven is going to be opened more and more. As God's people, his church, learn to carry that. And then just like the prophet Joel said in Joel chapter 2, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a picture in Joel of the end days. And that picture is of a great harvest that will come in. Billions of people coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I believe the key to that will not just be a bunch of Billy Grahams rising up. As, as much as we love Billy Graham. I love you, Billy. Hallelujah. I love you, Mr. Billy Graham. Hallelujah. I honor Billy Graham. What we need is we need open heaven. You know, in order to reach Muslims out in the Middle East, what we need is not just the Bible translated into, into their languages. What we need is open heaven. People to encounter God supernaturally and powerfully. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, <coughs> do you see the wonderful things that happen when there is an open heaven? And this is just a short list. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Prophesy to them again. You will see heaven opened. You will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Brothers and sisters, this word is not just for Jesus. This word is not just for the early church. This word is for you. This promise is for you. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on Mandy, on Yas. On Lisa, on Krista, on Perla, hallelujah. The angels of God. You see, because Christ is in us, the promise of an open heaven is something that can be accessed by every born again believer. Amen? Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The promise of angelic activity was not confined to Jesus' ministry or to the book of Acts. Think of it this way. Jesus demonstrated what an open heaven looks like, what angelic activity looks like. You look at his public ministry, he demonstrated what an open heaven looks like, and then he looked at you, and he threw you the ball, and he said, it's your turn. Hallelujah. Bill Johnson said, above every believer is an open heaven. Demonic spirits cannot block the fellowship between the Spirit of God in you and the Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, it's immensely important that we learn how to live in and cultivate an awareness of the open heaven that we have over us. 
Each and every one of us, we have an open heaven that follows us where we go. And with this awareness, when we cultivate this awareness, there's a greater faith and boldness that rises up for you to see and do greater things than these. And I'm going to close with this. You know, this image of angels going up and down, it's originally from Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob, he's sleeping in the middle of the wilderness. has a dream. And Jacob, in this dream, he sees a ladder or a stairway going from earth and reaching all the way up to heaven. And then the angels of God, they're ascending and descending on the stairway. And then a voice of, of God from the top of the heaven speaks forth all these promises to Jacob. When Jacob awakes, he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than Bethel. Bethel simply means house of God. And then you know what he did when he, when he woke up the next day? He took a large stone and he set up a pillar there just so that he would not remember. I mean, just so that he would not forget where this location was. He thought this physical location was special. So he set up this stone there. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something right now. Jesus fulfilled this vision of a stairway to heaven when he died on the cross for you. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus, he bled and died on the cross to make a way for you to get to heaven. You see, Jesus is pretty much saying, I am the stairway to heaven. You want to get to heaven? It's got to be through me. You put your faith in me. You put your trust in me. And you will get to heaven but not only that not only did jesus make a way for us to get to heaven as he is the stairway of heaven the stairway to heaven but jesus also filled us with the holy spirit so that he can get heaven down to us to get heaven down to us and around us jesus gives us the holy spirit so that we don't have to travel to some geographic location in the middle east to find a Bethel. To find a place where angels go up and down. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. So that each and every one of you. Who has the Holy Spirit in you. You become a walking, breathing, living Bethel. You are a Bethel. You are a house of God. Because Jesus is in you by the Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, there can be an open heaven. There can be angelic activity wherever you go. And you know, many times we are involved in supernatural activities, angelic activities are around us, but many times we're oblivious to it. You know, um, Pastor Paul one time, he told me about a revival service that he was at. And during this revival service, people were getting touched by the Holy Spirit. And people started to physically like shake. People started falling on the ground. People were, were manifesting all kinds of things. And Pastor Paul said that God opened up his eyes. And he was able to see angels all over the room. 
And he said these angels were different shapes and sizes. And he told me that the angels, you know what the angels were doing? Wherever somebody was like shaking like this, he said the angels were grabbing them and shaking them up like this. And wherever somebody's hand was flaring like that, there was an angel grabbing their hand and going, yeah! It's crazy, right? Maybe you're too skeptical to believe this. This is what Pastor Paul said. I'll tell you right now, Pastor Paul is not a man that lies. He tells it like it is. And uh, there was all this angelic activity as a revival meeting. Most people just thought that people were being excited and people were, you know, I don't know, having mouth seizures. I don't know what people were thinking. But Pastor Paul got to see in the spirit realm and he saw that it was angelic activity that was causing all these things. People were getting healed from depression. People were getting healed from physical diseases. People were getting empowered by the Holy Spirit, called into the ministry. There was an open heaven and angelic activity just filled the room. What I'm trying to preach to you today is you carry this open heaven with you wherever you go. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on you. That's what Jesus is trying to say through this prophetic word that was spoken. We are the house of God. We are the living temple of God. And wherever we go, angelic activity, supernatural activity is not the exception, but we should contend until we see it as the norm. It's not just a revival or a conference thing, but it is everyday thing. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to see. Hallelujah. You were born to believe in things that you do not see. You were designed to partner with heaven. To bring the kingdom of God. You were designed to partner with heaven and bring supernatural angelic activities onto this earth into dark and oppressed places. You are designed for that. You are destined for that. So I want you all to bow your heads right now and just receive this right now. Lord God, I just pray over each and every person in this room right now. Lord, you said in your word in Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we know that what keys do, they, the keys, they open up doors. And we thank you that, God, you have entrusted to us.